Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. The scripture we're going to read today is God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. And it's in a little bit different translation, ESV. It says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. How many are glad he was raised from the dead? How many are glad we could sing about that this morning? All right, let's bow our heads together. Jesus, we thank you for your love and your touch in this place. We thank you for your word that is already anointed. We just ask it to go forward. Let us be good ground so that this seed of this word can be sown into our lives and bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You may be seated. We are on our second installment of God's Not Dead 2 series, and I'm thankful for the movie night that we had here two Fridays ago, and it was really a wonderful evening. If you missed it, you need to get the movie and watch it, because the next three sermons that I'm preaching is off of that ser- that movie, God's Not Dead 2. So, and I, I want to dismiss any of the Sunday school students that are now leaving. Um, anyone that wants to join them, that's great. Uh, we have a special place prepared for them, and also the nursery is available if you need it. So I um, sometimes have to avoid that area because my, my wife wants to check me into the nursery every once in a while, but it doesn't work out so well for her because I, I'm, I, even though I'm a little bit of a rowdy person, um, I, I want to be in church. Um, I would take the offering if, if we could, and we'll do it at the end if that's okay. I'd like to do that at the end on our way out. So the the clip that we're about to play is a clip from the movie. It's a famous crime detector named uh, J. Warner Wallace. And he's featured in that movie, God's Not Dead 2, which is where we're pulling this particular series from. And it testifies, he's testifying in the courtroom. And it's kind of dramatical, but I think it does point out the fact that Christ, the evidence of Christ is very important that we understand that Christ did live, he did die, and he was risen from the dead. And because there's so much evidence of that truth, we can stand upon our Christian faith. Amen, somebody. And so when we talk about where we're going to stand today, I want you to know that you have to stand somewhere. And that when you choose to follow Christ, we have a few posters up here that one side is like the contradiction, the other side is is the, the board of faith, and you'll see that in the movie somewhat. So please watch the movie if you haven't seen it. But here's the clip that kind of emphasizes the fact that because Christ lived and died, we have enough evidence and truth to stand upon that Christian message. Watch this clip. Would you state your name and experience for the record? My name is James Warner Wallace. I'm a retired homicide detective from Los Angeles County. And are you the author of the book, Cold Case Christianity? Yes, I am. Can you share the subtitle of the book with the court, please? A homicide detective investigates the claims of the Gospels. Would I be correct in saying that your, your duties as a homicide detective include investigating cold case homicides? Yes, that is and was my expertise. Don't most of those cases get solved with DNA evidence? Objection. Leading. And counsel is testifying again, Your Honor. I'll rephrase. How many of your cold cases were solved through the use of DNA evidence? None, not one. That's uh, often popular on TV, but our department's never had the good fortune of solving a cold case with DNA. Well, how do most of these cases get solved? 
often by examining eyewitness claims, uh, witness claims that were made many years earlier, even though often our witnesses are now deceased. Forgive my ignorance, Mr. Wallace, but how is that possible? Well, we have a number of techniques that we can use to test the reliability of an eyewitness, including something called forensic statement analysis. That's a discipline where we scrutinize the statements of eyewitnesses and looking at what they choose to minimize, what they choose to emphasize, what they omit altogether, how they expand time or contract time. And when we examine these kinds of eyewitness accounts, we can usually tell who's lying and who's telling the truth and even who the guilty party is. And did you apply this skill set any time outside of your official capacity? Yes, I applied my expertise to the death of Jesus at the hands of the Romans. And I actually looked at the Gospels as I would any other set of forensic statements. Within a matter of months, I determined that the four Gospels, written from different perspectives, contained the eyewitness accounts about the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And did you consider that the four accounts might be part of a conspiracy designed to promote belief in a fledgling faith? Yeah, you have to consider conspiracies when assessing eyewitness accounts. But successful conspiracies typically involve the fewest number of people. It's a lot easier for two people to lie and keep a secret than it is for 20. And that's really the problem with the conspiracy theories related to the apostles in the first century. There are just far too many of them trying to hold this conspiracy for far too long a period of time. And far worse, they're experiencing pressure like no other, unimaginable pressure. Every one of these folks were tortured and died for what they claimed to see, and none of them ever recanted their story. So the idea that um, this is a conspiracy in the first century is just really unreasonable. Instead, what I see in the Gospels, something I call unintended uh, eyewitness support statement. What's an unintended eyewitness support statement? If I can borrow your Bible. Let me uh, go to the Gospel of uh, Matthew for an example of this. I'll start with a passage in which Jesus is in front of uh, Caiaphas at a hearing. It says here, Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Now that seems like a very simple request, given that the people who hit him are standing right in front of him. What, this makes no sense. What, why would it be prophecy to be able to tell you who hit you? But it's not until you read Luke that you get an answer to this. He says, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? So now we know why this was a challenge, because Luke tells us the thing that Matthew left out, that he was actually blindfolded at the time this took place. This is very common, this kind of unintentional eyewitness support that fills in a detail that the first witness left out. After years of scrutinizing these Gospels, using the template that I used to determine if an eyewitness is reliable, I concluded that the four Gospels in this book contain the reliable accounts of the actual words of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? That should move your heart to confidence in Christ. I, I do believe that that statement that he makes, I'm not a Christian because I was raised that way. He was an atheist that was using his intellectual capabilities as an investigative processor or prog um, investigative um, eyewitness in the accounts of the gospel, he was using those particular um, skill sets that he had to try to find out, is this really true? And so, a little bit further in the movie, he's um, rebuttaled against the defense, with the defense, and the, um, not the defense, but the actual um, other lawyer, and he asks him some questions. He said, I don't think you understand, I was an atheist, but I was just trying to prove that Christ didn't exist. And in that um, proof study that I did, I found out that I 
I, I could stand upon the evidential fact that Jesus lived, and if he lived, then I had to respond to those facts. And then given those facts, I realized that there is no, truly a risen Savior. He did die, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And in all of those different areas that he studied, he realized that I'm not a Christian because I was raised that way. I'm a Christian because I it is eventually and factually true as I studied it out. So it became a very powerful thing because skeptics often want to look at the life of Jesus Christ and deny that he even lived. And it maybe be, it could be somewhat unbelievable for many people to think that there was a man that was buried and died and was dead for three days and rose again. And all of those facts seem like they would be fairy tales except for the, the, the true process of, of studying the Word of God, not only the Word of God, but then like what they call metatext or texts that are outside of the Word of God, which is historical text, like history class, which some of us like history, some of us don't, some of us fell asleep in history class, some of us didn't. But for me, which I didn't do so good in history because of my ADD, but I did uh, get to enjoying the Word of God and in studying it in Bible college, I realized that I had made the best decision of my life to follow Jesus Christ. Hello, somebody. And so a lot of skeptics like to use Mark Twain's quote, which is this. It says, faith is believing what you know ain't so. That's Mark Twain. And nothing could be further from the truth. How many know that's not true? Real faith is grounded in evidence. There is places in faith where there is no evidence. The angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son without a man. You're going to birth a child. You shall call his name Jesus. That's called the Immaculate Conception. Many people that understand the story know that Jesus would be born in a situation where he has a father that's not really his father because God Almighty was the one that overshadowed, the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and caused the conception. So this is a very weird and strange situation. Mary herself had a messed up situation as soon as God entered her life. Her marriage was in jeopardy. Her reputation was in jeopardy. And all this was something she was going to have to believe God for. So she had no evidence that there was ever an immaculate conception, but she said, be it unto me as you have said. She had enough faith to say, God, whatever your will is, I'm willing to accept it in my life on faith, even though I don't have evidence. But not everything has to be in faith off of no evidence. There is a lot of places where we can study and make a very logical decision. Faith doesn't always make sense, but there are places where faith does make sense. Amen? So we can wrap our head around some of the capacities and reasonings of the scriptures and, the, and seeing the lives of men and women in the stories that we read in the Bible, how they lived their life, how they gave their life, and how they shed their blood even for the cause of Christ. That takes a real faith, amen? So real faith has to be grounded. The capacity to reason does not go out the window when you become a Christian, amen? You don't just get crazy stupid, okay? Okay, you just, like, I just believe God for everything in this book. I, it doesn't matter what you say, I just believe. It. No, there is great things we can study out, and that is the, the thing that I want to talk about today. I think it's very important that we touch this sub subject because there are times when you choose to follow after Christ and you're not always sure that the outcome is working because you don't always have your prayers answered the way you want them to. You don't always see the things happen as fast as you'd like for them to happen. 
happen and you may doubt that living for God is the best way to live, but I guarantee you it's the best choice you ever make. Some things have consequences in the future and some things have consequences immediately. How many have ever made a choice that had a consequence down the road a couple years? You agree with me that those aren't always choices that you see the consequences right away. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We don't always see the wages of sin, but there's a payday coming. Amen? It says the paycheck you receive for sin in your life is death somewhere in your life. Something dies every time we sin. Amen? But that's why Jesus died in our place for our sins so we could have hit life from him as he died for us. That's a good place to put an amen. Hallelujah. But there are some choices that have immediate consequences, like these choices right here. Now, this particular choice was not a very good choice. If you see this picture as they throw it up, are you guys following me here? They're not. They're not following me, but that's okay. We'll give them five seconds. That's an immediate consequence of a very bad decision. Amen? See, cats always make people smile. I don't know what it is about cats. If there's no cat people in the room, this is another immediate consequence. <laughs> of a bad decision and a few more that's probably not a bad not a good day right there and the slinky cat what about this one and of course another immediate consequence and a couple more that's yeah that's a mad cat right there and I don't know how that cat ever got there and this guy he's worshiping he's like please and that looks like it hurts. Immediate consequences of choices. I want you to know that there is a consequence of not choosing Jesus Christ in your life. And those are fun, but let's do this. Let's look at some of the evidence behind choosing Jesus in your life and that you can stand upon that decision. The universe obviously came into existence um, for many reasons, but it didn't come into existence for no reason. But why should we trust the laws of the universe without trusting that someone created those laws? Amen? That there is a legislator, as it were, of the universe. C.S. Lewis said it in his quote. He said, men become scientists because they expect law in nature. And they expect law in nature because they believe in a legislator. We don't have to come to God against reason, but through it. Romans 1 and 20 says this. It says that the fact we are, I'll read it right off the screen. For Go back to the, go, go to the scripture for me. For his invisible attributes, namely, we're having fun back there with media. It just went away. Would you give it to me again? For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. In other words, he says, you don't have an excuse of knowing the creator because everything that he has has his fingerprints on it. Everything he's done has his hands on it. And so you have no excuse because when you look at nature, how many have gone camping? Any campers in the room? When you go camping and you sit under the stars and you look out, there's, there's one quote that I didn't bring, but it says that when, when you were to look down at the earth, you may think there is no God. But if you were to be on earth and look up at the stars, you must recognize that there is a God out there because it makes you feel so small and yet the world, the universe is so big. And in that evidence, we're willing to have it lead our hearts to places 
to that we have to make really uh, true and honest decisions. So the facts are given, and in those facts, we have to be willing to answer this question. Are we willing to follow the evidence wherever it leads? That's where we run into trouble because there's enough fact and evidence that says you need to live for Jesus Christ, that he is a real savior and he's a real Lord. And there's enough fact and evidence to say that you should walk with God every day and spend time in his word and spend time communicating with him in prayer. And in all of that, you have to ask yourself, are you willing to let that evidence change you? Are you willing to let that evidence guide your life? So that's important for us to consider. And in the fact that he was raised from the dead, there's many different accounts in the scripture that talk about his, his resurrection. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the marks of authenticity. And that is the historicity. Now there's people that say that when you look at history, if it supports biblical record, then that support is very strong because it's not coming from someone who is... Um, who 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 approaches the scriptures from the scriptures or who looks at the bible sympathetically and has a christian faith if you can look at a skeptic a skeptic's writings and their writings support the gospel in some area then that makes it a very solid fact a work of authenticity or whatever they they want to give a, ter a term to it but opponents references even in history count the count the facts and, and look at the facts, and they sometimes try to disprove, disprove even the facts of the Bible. But there's several authors early on in, in Christian history. One is Flavius Josephus, and his, he was a Jewish historian. So this is kind of, um, this can be kind of like a teaching session. So I want you, to, if you would, just follow me. Employed by the Romans, he wrote during the time of Christ, he wrote the words, when Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men, of the highest standing amongst us had condemned him to be crucified. So he referenced Pilate in, in Jewish history. This wasn't biblical writings. This was a man who was not sympathetic toward the church. He was against the Christian, the way, the Christian believers that follow Jesus Christ. And he was employed by the Roman government. And he, he specifically states in historical writings that Pilate was there and he was listening to the men of the highest standing among them, and he condemned him to be crucified, referring to Jesus. That's not biblical text. There's also other meta-texts, which is from a man by the name of Tacitus. I don't know why their names were so hard to say back then. I don't, they just created these names that were difficult. But Tacitus was the greatest Roman historian in the day of Jesus' life. And he was actually a proconsul to Asia in AD 112 and 113. And his last works was called The Annals. And it was written in 116 and 117. This is 116 years after the Lord's death, 117 years after the Lord's death. And he included these words in his historical writings, not biblical writings, historical writings. He said, Nero fastened the guilt of the burning of Rome. Nero had set Rome on fire and blamed the Christians. Okay, that's how it turned out. He fastened the guilt of the burnings of Rome and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a, on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, Christ, basically, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one whose prosecutors were Pontius Pilate. 
So this stuff is actually found in history, not in the Word of God. Obviously, the Bible is where we look for the story of Jesus Christ. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were ones that we, we can study, and they're very good to study. If you are using the objective standards of judging by history, though, what history says, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is part of historical bedrock. It's there. You can't deny it. Even the skeptics can't deny it. Even people that are atheists can't deny that Jesus was crucified. It's in historical record. And so even though they would try to expunge those records, they can't because there's several reasons. Obviously, the first reason that I just mentioned was that Jesus died and was crucified. The second reason was his tomb was found empty. Everyone say his tomb. All four Gospels specifically mention that Jesus was immediately requested by Joseph of Arimathea for the had been immediately requested to Pontius Pilate for the body of Jesus so that he could lay him in a tomb. That is what happened. And so those are historical records as well. And the Woman, the women that were first eyewitnesses, I don't know if you remember the story, but the women that ran to the tomb and found it empty. How many remember those stories? The reason why that is such an important part of the understanding that Jesus was resurrected or that there was an empty tomb was because historically in those times, women could not testify in court. I don't know if you understand the day in which they lived, but women were property in those days. Thank God we've evolved. <laughs> Thank God we understand that that's not where we should be as far as our thinking. Amen. But in those days, women were often purchased and bought with dowries or whatever they purchased them with, and they were considered property of the man of the house. And so therefore, if there was some sort of court ruling or court proceedings, women's testimonies were not considered valid in the court. They only went and saw after men's testimonies. So the fact that it's recorded not only in the Gospels, but in history that there were women that first saw that the tomb was empty is astounding. That they even took the, their record for being anything. In the reign of Tiberius, in, in the historical documents, and that Jesus was, uh, was crucified under his reign and at the procurators um, of Pontius Pilate. Those different names are in the, in the Gospels and it's in history. And I can't believe that there, there would be in the first century so much weight put in a woman's testimony, number one, or in the fact that there was a Joseph of Arimathea listed. And it's in scripture as well. Is that all right? Is this getting too heavy for you? Should I go back to happy cats on the screen? Would that help? In addition, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 4, he said he was buried. So Paul gives, under the anointed written word of God, he gives us the testimony personally that he understood that Jesus was buried. Everyone say buried. And if he was buried, then the tomb would have to be a geographical location. It would be some place where there'd be a lot of people going to. A lot of people seeing, they do believe it over in Israel that there was a cave and a tomb that they think that he was in, but they're not sure. But there would be a geographical location as well as a historical marker. All of that Roman and Jewish, of the Roman and Jewish authorities would have had to produce, a, all they would have had to do in those days just to, dis to disprove the Christians and to disprove their stances and disprove the, that Jesus rose from the dead, all they would have had to do was to produce the dead body of Jesus. Simple task, right? If he was dead, 
all they had to do was produce it and show for sure that he was dead. And then the Christian story would have come to a screeching halt. But instead, they could not do that because Jesus rose again. Amen? I think that's a good place to put an amen because I'm so happy I serve a risen Savior. He's not... He's not the dead leader of a cult of people that were back in the first century. He is a risen Savior and Lord. And I'm grateful that I know John the Baptist had an encounter with him while he was on the Isle of Patmos many years later before he died. While he was writing, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I, and being turned, I saw one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His feet were as fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice was of the sound of many waters and being in his hand in his right hand were seven candles and he was in several candlesticks in the right hand were seven stars and I being turned fell at his feet as dead and he came and he laid his right hand on me and when he laid his right hand on me in the scriptures John said he began to speak this one called Jesus began to speak and he said behold I am the one that was dead and was alive and was dead and am alive forevermore Jesus in his own account to John said I was alive I died and I was buried he didn't say buried but he said I died but I am alive I'm resurrected I'm grateful I serve a resurrected I kind of feel like preaching today but I have to stay with the notes because <laughs> we have to get through this empty tombs are further disprove can further disprove that the possibility that the appearances were mass hallucinations how many have heard about the mass hallucination theory that there was a bunch of people that had this big hallucination, and um, truly, that's that's impossible. And it's discredited by the fact that there was a resurrection appearance by so many people, that Jesus came and, and, and revealed himself to so many. And in doing so, the resurrection appearances were legends they they believed in this mass hallucination that the skeptics that that they were just legends fabricated over decades after actual events had taken place but the truth of the matter is you cannot fabricate that clear of testimony there were so many people that gave such clear testimony that Jesus was risen and not only that but the disciples were um, went that went to the those that went to the empty tomb. The disciples ran and and witnessed it themselves that the tomb was empty, and that further disproves the fact because they not only went there and saw the empty tomb, but then when Jesus appeared to them, they not only touched him, but they the disciples described touching a physical body. I want to say a physical body. And since that body had vanished, the disciples couldn't have simply experienced a mystical encounter with Jesus as a spiritual presence of, or a ghost. There was something they could touch. Thomas, doubting Thomas, said, I won't believe it's him unless I can touch the wound in his side and the nail prints in his hand. And Jesus invited him to do that, and he touched him. And so they not only touched him, they experienced him, they saw him, and they ate with him. I don't know about you, but I don't know any ghosts that like to eat. It's just not possible. So he had he had a resurrected body, but that body was capable of being touched by human beings. So all of this is not a hallucination. And then number three, his disciples believed he appeared to them. His disciples truly believed it. So that's the third point. And that in that belief was a great understanding in Paul, who was actually a skeptic. 
He was a prosecutor of the church. I don't know if you guys know the story of Paul, but when Jesus was crucified and the followers of Christ began to be killed in many different ways, they were tortured, they were abused. Paul, who was then called Saul, was actually a persecutor of the people of God. And he thought he was doing God's will, but he wasn't. And so whenever he encountered um, God on the road to Damascus, he had an experience with God. He changed his entire belief system. And in order to do that, you have to have a, a true encounter with God. Amen? So Jesus' Jesus's brother also is an example of, uh, of a non-believer. He, he didn't believe that Jesus was truly who he was until after he appeared to him after death. He believed that he, when he appeared after his death, as the New Testament scholar Luke Timothy Johnson stated, he said it, said it like this, Something happened in the lives of real women and men, something that caused them to perceive their lives in a new and radically altered fashion. And when he appeared to them, if we grant that something, if we grant that something happened, however, then we must face the still harder question, what happened? What could be profound enough and powerful enough to change timorous followers into bold and prophetic leaders? What power could transform a fanatic prosecutor, prosecutor, referring to Saul, who changed to Paul, into a fervent apostle? Truly, an encounter with God can only change a man like that or a woman like that. How many know that God can change us from the inside out? How many know that his enc encounter with God is all we need to change our lives completely? There is something that happens when we come in the presence of God. All four Gospels testify to the disciples having physical encounters with the risen Jesus. I already say, stated that. But they saw him. They heard him. They even ate with him. The New Testament also testifies to the appearance. One of the most striking is the creed mentioned early in 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance... I would read it up there, but I think the translation will be just a little bit different. I'll read it here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul saying, I received this, I'm delivering it to you. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised from on the third day and in accordance with the scripture. He keeps on saying in accordance with the scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve, then appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then, he, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. In other words, he said he appeared to all these people and he appeared to me. Paul describes several of the appearances and accounts in the scriptures. And we learn from the books of Galatians and Acts that he received the information that he's talking about, that he's saying he's delivering to us directly from Peter and other eyewitnesses because he knew them. He mentions the disciples, James, the half-brother of Jesus, 500 others. He still, that, and some of them were even still alive when he was writing the text. He also describes how Jesus later appeared to him, obviously Paul's original, the original persecutor of the church. But after Jesus appeared to him, he became one of the greatest proponents of the church. That change is not un, unfounded. For other reasons, 
not only these, but for these reasons, even skeptic scholars have recognized that the disciples really believed Jesus appeared to them. I know that, um, that in my life, he's touched me, obviously, in many ways, coming from such a rough upbringing and finding myself on the, on the side of the platform just crying out to God because I wanted more out of life than what I had experienced and the abuses and all the things that I went through. And God saying, if you give me my life, I'll use you. And that experience with Jesus Christ forever changed me. I can't tell you why it changed me. I can't tell you why I thought um, that there was something different in me from when I knelt down there as to when I got up. All I know is that day I felt a calling to go into ministry. And in that calling, a call of God on my life, I have never been able to escape it. So therefore, in that, I know that these men had experiences that were very similar in the sense that no matter what anyone could say to them, no matter what anyone would do to them, they were willing to die the most excruciating deaths off of the experience that they had in the presence of God. And I still believe there is an experience like that available to anybody that wants it. Amen? I don't, I don't preach every Sunday and, and do my life and work a full-time job and come here just because I think it's... It's a great hobby to preach the gospel. I do what I do because I believe God changes people when they get in his presence. And if we can just get his presence to show up here, he can do more in five minutes than we can do in five years counseling people. God can do great and mighty things. Amen? He sure can. My brother this week was direct head on in the course of Matthew. They were in West Palm Bay. It was going to hit landfall right where he was. He sent me pictures of how they boarded up the windows and how they were getting ready. Then he said, we went to praying and we were, the whole church was praying because they obviously have their church there and they don't want it destroyed. And if you look at the course of Matthew, it does a little wobble and goes back out into the ocean and goes right around West Palm Bay and then comes back into the coast. It literally walked itself out, which is a scientific impossibility. The hurricane moving toward West Palm Bay did what they call scientifically a wobble. That's a scientific term. It moved out into the ocean and went around and came back in around them off of their prayers. I believe that God can do miracles off of prayers. You think I'm crazy, but this has to be crazy. That he died, he's buried, and he rose again, and these men are dying and being crucified upside down, and they believe what they stood for, and they knew the Jesus in which they stood on, and they had taken their stand right here in this picture, in the picture, in the scriptures, and the stories of their life, and I believe that if they believed it that hard, that there is a true and living God, who when I place my life in his hands, he has full control and can do great and mighty things, things I cannot do. Amen, somebody. Resurrection was proclaimed early. I know I just got off the sermon, but resurrection was proclaimed early. Also, the fact of history that the resurrection of Christ was proclaimed in, in, in early stages of the Christianity history reveals that obviously he was resurrected. Christianity started in a place where it was most least likely to succeed. If you were to choose a place on the planet to start the religion of Christianity or following Christ, you would, have not, you would not choose Jerusalem. Three days after Jesus' death in Jerusalem, there's already a lot of information coming out about this Jesus. 
It spread like wildfire, even though leading scholars admit that the resurrection of Jesus was proclaimed very early. Skeptics often attempt to obscure and even deny this fact, obviously because the implications. Rather than engage in historical debate, works of popular fiction, fiction like the Da Vinci Code, how many have seen the Da Vinci Code, makes claims that Christianity came to prominence because of Christ, um, Constantine in AD 325. That's not true at all. 8325 was a drastic change in the doctrine where they created something known as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That was created at the Council of Nicaea in 325. And Constantine was the one that initiated that process. But that was not where Christianity began. Christianity had been going for 325 years People have been following Christ, living for him, dying for him, all of those, all that time. And if Constantine introduced it at 325, then all those people had died without even knowing why they had died. It makes no sense why they would live for somebody that had no existence until 325. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are all mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15's creed. And it came to Paul within the first five years of the event. The first five years of Paul, he writes of the resurrection, the death, and the burial of Jesus Christ. He gets all of this from different places. We see this preaching in Galatians, as we mentioned, the preaching recorded in the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. Reality is that the preaching of the resurrection turned the world upside down from the very beginning. From the very beginning. And as, a, as those writings were made available, often there's arguments that would come out that the Gospels and Acts are not historically reliable. However, by all reasoning historical standards, all reasonable historical standards, they are some of the most reliable documents from, the, from that time period. Luke is the author of, of, the, of one of the Gospels as well as the book of Acts. He began his writings by describing his works as followed. He, he says them like this in Luke 1, 1 through 4. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Everyone say eyewitnesses. We're talking about the, the case for Christ here today. And servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account. He was a doctor, remember. So his account, of course, would be very orderly. It might be chicken scratch, though, but it'd be orderly, chicken scratch. An orderly account for, who, for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In other words, he's saying, I chose to write a very careful, an orderly account of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and crucifixion so that it could be shared with others and with Theophilus right here. Everyone say Theophilus. He had Theophilus' name. Is that not true? This guy was, um, imagine this guy being persecuted in grade school. What kind of nicknames Theophilus got? Luke based his writings on eyewitnesses who were close to the disciples of Jesus from the very beginning. His other writings, such as the, there are other writings that were available to Luke to reference, such as the Gospel of Mark had already been written. He was a champion and companion of Paul. He believed in his ministry. Who, 
had direct access, obviously, to Peter and the other apostles, as I said. Archaeological discoveries have proven Luke's writings to be detailed and correct and verified through numerous of those discoveries. And by comparison with the other Gospels and Paul's writings, after examining the evidence, even historians who were originally skeptics of Luke became convinced that he is one of the most trustworthy historians of his time. Does that not make an impact on you? That the book that you're reading, that so many tried to destroy, burn it, kill the Christians, that book sitting in your lap right now has the truth of God in it. Amen? And that you can stand on the word of God. His promises are still real. Amen? And all you need is a prayer and a promise sometimes from this word. And you can overcome the greatest difficulties in your life. I still am so grateful that I can every once in a while just put my Bible to my heart and say, God, I thank you that I have your promises. I thank you that you wrote a love letter to me so I can know you better. I thank you that you authored through the pen of men something so beautiful that I can find comfort in it. I can find direction for my life in it. And it's a living word and that I can read one passage one day and then a year later or, or maybe even two years later, I can read that same passage and get something completely different from it because it's a living word and it's anointed and God breathed I'm grateful let's thank the Lord for his word today amen amen so in concluding thoughts I would say one of the most prominent in the conversation of James is the conversation of James one of the most prominent accounts is the conversation of James the half-brother of Jesus who had been a skeptic and was transformed into a believer after seeing the resurrection of Jesus. As he, you might imagine, the evidence would have to be pretty strong to convince you that your sibling is the savior of the world. You'd have to be pretty, pretty convinced, amen? The one that you grew up with, the one that you know very well, the one that you're very familiar with, you have to be willing to be convinced. And so James was. The, the conversation of Paul combined with others men, mentioned and the facts of history cannot be reasonably explained away by anything except the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead. All other explanations simply fall short. And somebody put an amen right there. For instance, the first attempt to dismiss the resurrection was made by religious leaders in Jerusalem. They claimed that the disciples stole the body. How many read that in the word? However, after Jesus was arrested, his disciples either fled for their lives or outright denied him. We could have possibly caused them to all conspire to make up such, um, such an unbelievable story and then be willing to suffer. We, we could, somebody could have maybe possibly done that. But, I don't know how you could because the fact that they they suffered persecution and they died for their deception would have been crazy. The fact that they made this story up, they were persecuted and died for the deception that they made up doesn't make any sense. Somebody would have cracked, amen? Somebody would have turned over. Somebody would have said, hey, we, we just thought it was a great joke. We're just really kidding. Don't kill us. Somebody would have given in, but instead... They all stood to their death on the fact that Jesus was resurrected. This rationalization also doesn't account for the conversation of James and Paul who were originally skeptics. How 
much more evidence do we need to stand upon the fact that Jesus is worthy of a relationship? Amen. How much more evidence do we need that Jesus was not a mass hallucination, that there were vital details outside of the word of God and in the word of God, that these speculations raised are more, more of a desire of the skeptics to escape a savior and a Lord in their life than for them to handle the truth of the word of God. Amen. And we can contrast the actuality of all of that with Jesus' resurrection perfectly explained all the facts that we know about him. In light of the overwhelming evidence, it is more than reasonable to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. The implications of this are obviously profound. Jesus' identity as, a, as the Savior of the world is thus proven beyond the reasonable doubt. His words, therefore, are absolute authority over our lives. In addition, we can be confident that God would have ensured his teachings, ensured his teaching and ministry to be accurately recorded in scripture for future generations. Finally, finally, we have a true hope that we too will rise from the dead as Jesus at Jesus's second coming. When we grasp this evidence, we can trust that our experience of Jesus today is not imaginary. Amen, somebody. The resurrection is not a religious belief based upon one personal opinion. It is based on historical facts that also are evidenced by biblical writings. Because of this, we can take our stand for Christ like Grace did in the movie. And we can say to millions of people around the world today, regardless of the consequences, you need to stand for Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me today? So the question is, that's most important is, where will you stand? I have friends that I've talked to and some have chosen to live for the Lord and some have not. And I can whittle it all down to the fact that they were not willing to follow the evidence. They just simply weren't willing to have a Lord of their life because they wanted to be Lord of their life. They wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to make their own choices. And maybe you haven't made a complete choice today to make Jesus Christ all of what he should be in your life. And I want to ask you today, given the facts, given the facts that I've presented today, given that you know that Jesus is not made up, that he's historically documented outside the Bible, and that no matter who comes against the word of God and says this is not an accurate book, that all you need to do is look at history to find out that Jesus is real. And if you want to take away everything else and just look at the words of Jesus, Jesus said you must be born again of water and of spirit in order to see the kingdom of heaven, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And being born of water is baptism. And being born of the Spirit is being full of the Holy Spirit, being filled with God's Spirit. And so if you want to just believe, okay, there was a Jesus. He died and he was buried and he rose again. And I'm going to hang on to the teachings of Jesus. Then you have to follow the evidence and you have to know that you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you need to be filled with his Spirit so that you can be called born again, as Jesus said, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Or else this is all just a waste of time. 
We just came here, looked good. Hey, you smell nice. You drove a nice car here, whatever. But this is all a waste of time if we don't follow the evidence today, amen? If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I encourage you to do that because the Bible says that why should we tarry, arise, and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord? We will baptize you if you want because that is what you should do given the evidence. He told his disciples that they should go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And not even more, not more than 15 days later, Peter stands up and preaches the first gospel message. Peter the Apostle. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. This is how Peter obeyed Jesus' words. He said, you, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name and you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Those are things we need to do. We've got to pursue the evidence trail, amen? And so our faith causes us to act. And I hope you will stand on the word of God today. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, I pray you give someone courage in this place to make the decision to follow you. We believe that is the beginning and there is a new beginning waiting in this room for somebody today. If they will take the facts that you lived, you died, you rose again, that you are evidence not only in scripture but in history. Maybe you'd give somebody the faith to believe today that this is a real deal, that you were legit and that you are real, God, that there is real faith that I can believe in based upon facts. And if that's all that I have, that's all that I need. But there's great things waiting for those that walk by faith. Would you help us today, Jesus, to make a decision for you? In Jesus' name. Would you find a place to...